Well, good morning. Glad you're uh, joining us. If you're joining us online, thank you also for being with us. So when I was a senior in high school, I had to take a government class. When we walked in and the teacher introduced himself, though he spoke clear English, understandable, it was clearly accented. We thought, you're not from here. You weren't born here. And in fact, Mr. Engel was born in Germany. After World War II, his wife came over with the, uh, she's an administrative assistant with the U.S. Army as they transitioned. Uh, he met her, fell in love, they got married. He came back to the States, um, pursued citizenship, became a U.S. citizen. And in giving us this introduction, I, he really anticipated the question in our mind. He said, now I know you would like to know, if God forbid, Germany and the U.S. were to go to war, which side would I fight on? And he said, without question, and he paused, I would fight with the United States. Now, I'm praying to God this never happens, but I'm a citizen of this country. That means I leave what I knew in terms of culture and family and language and food to embrace the benefits of U.S. citizenship. Now, that's a picture for us as followers of Christ. Jesus, uh, there's a, he said, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. And, and, and the, 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 the benefits of following him are, are innumerable. And yet, like Mr. Engel, there is a cost for our allegiance to Christ. And I want to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Revelation chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1, we're going to go through verse 8, and wrestle with this question... Why should we endure the cost of allegiance to Christ? Why should we endure the cost of allegiance to Christ? Now, this is the first of what I think will be 22 weeks in the book of Revelation. We're going to work our way all the way through. Um, the way I do sermons, I manuscript ahead and I send them out and I get input. And one of my readers is, is my wife, and then there's another guy named Bill Kohler. They both give me uh, great insight. Um, Bill's in Florida now, but they were a part of this church, and they, they give me thoughts. But there's a third um, person who has been so helpful to me, and I'd be remiss not to mention him. His name is Mark Mathewson. He's on the staff at Lincoln Bree, and he, and he has read every one of my manuscripts and, and given me great input. I don't think I would have tried this endeavor without him. I said, Mark, I am doing a lot of copy and paste on your emails, and he said, that is fine. I'm glad you can... So I'm, I'm grateful to all these, but especially Mark in particular on this. Now, as we seek to understand Revelation. I, I think it's critically important we understand the genre. This type of literature is different than any other in the New Testament. There are a couple uh, like it in the Old Testament, Daniel in the book of Ezekiel, but it is, it is unique in the Old Testament. So to introduce that, let me read the first two verses of Revelation 1. It says, the revelation, now we could say the vision or the apocalypse, of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his, to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So there is a vision that is going from God the Father to Jesus, to the angel, to John. Now, God is going to communicate truth through symbols, through pictures. He's going to call people to act 
on the meaning of these symbols and the meaning of this truth. Now, many of us hear vision, whoa, we're going to speculate. We're going to go all kinds, what do you think this means? And, and that's way out there, and what might it be? What then? That? No, 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 no. This apocalypse, revelation, vision was for the here and now for the first readers. We'll find out there's seven churches in Asia Minor who are getting it. And as the Word of God is timeless, this vision too is for us to apply. If we don't understand that, we'll understand that in verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Catch these two words, hear and heed. If you were with us through the Sermon on the Mount, you were with us last week, we finished it, Jesus finished, we think, you need to apply this. Well, guess what? That's not unique to the Sermon on the Mount. This vision is a prophecy. Now, prophecy, is he going to tell the future? No, prophecy does some future telling, but prophecy from God's perspective is more warnings and encouragement to the people of God to live in His truth. So this is to be lived out. These symbols carry a meaning and they're applicable to people's lives. And when we read verse 4, we won't read it right now, we'll find out this is a letter. This is Pastor John on the island of Patmos, banished there because of his faith, exiled, writing to seven influential churches. And the idea was he wrote this vision down Took it to the first church, they read it, copied it, and sent it on to the second one. They read it, copied it, sent it on to the third. Now what gets tricky is the interpretation. How do we interpret this? Well, these first readers were being challenged. Their allegiance was being challenged. And this vision is instruction and how to live until Jesus returns. Well, that has application for you and for me. This is specific instruction on how to live until Jesus returns. What's tricky is God's communicating through symbols, and over time, we don't understand the meaning. Now, when John used those symbols, people understood him. He borrowed heavily from the Old Testament, but it's been 2,000 years. And so, over the last 2,000 years, people have said, oh, this symbol means that. Well, one of the guiding principles we have to have when interpreting a symbol is, would the first readers have understood it? So later we will get to uh, some locusts that are coming out of the abyss uh, as the judgment of God, and, and I have seen people say, oh, those are helicopters. No, no. No, because the first readers wouldn't have understood helicopters. You've got to say, what did the first readers understand? No. This is instruction on how to live between the ascension of Jesus and when he comes back. Much of the symbols will be drawn from the Old Testament. So John's expecting his readers to understand. He will use numbers symbolically. We'll see that in our few verses today. So you say, why? Why not just say it? Why not just say it? Well, there's something, I think, about communicating with pictures or symbols 
that comes home. So let me go from the world of the spiritual to politics. If I'm a political commentator and I say, hey, boy, the Democrats and Republicans aren't getting along. That, that's one way to communicate, isn't it? But here's a second way to communicate that. Look up here. That's a political cartoon. I would say for most of us, that will stick longer than, hey, the Republicans and Democrats aren't getting on. But, but there's no confusion, is there, among us, what these two things symbolize? We don't need to have a discussion. What do, you, what do you think of the don? What do you think of the elephant? Let's take a vote on that. I think we're all clear. Nobody's going to suggest, hey, I think we need to do a study of really if elephants and donkeys will fight. When John gave this vision, the symbols were clear. People understood. The problem we've got is we've had 2,100 years and we're trying to figure it out. So I want to just go back 49 years. 1973. Any guys, what that might be? Let me give you a little context. June of 1973, Russian Premier Leonid Brezhnev comes to the U.S. to meet with President Richard Nixon to discuss strategic arm limitation. It is the area of it is the era of detente. Does that help? The eagle stands for, and the bear stands for, and they're pals. And they're forging a new future together. Now, in the last 49 years, just as an aside, detente has fallen apart. But, but this is what this is. But do you see, we need to understand context for that to come home. And if we were to look at this political cartoon or the one I just showed 100 years from now or 200 years from now, are they going to recognize that? No. So I'm in the world of political. I want to come back to the world of spiritual. John has been given symbols by God that are representative to communicate truth. So it will be helpful for us to to know, to understand what was the spiritual climate in John's day in which he received this. So John received received this vision between 90 and 95 A.D. Domitian was the emperor of Rome. The the empire had come through some sustained persecution under Nero, but he's dead and gone. And the persecution is hit and miss. It's local. Some yes, some no, depending on where you live. But there is a civic religion that has grown up in Rome. And there are three, if you will, kind of overriding, guiding presupposition. I'd like to point them out here. One, the gods have chosen Rome. Okay? Two, Rome and its emperor are agent of God's rule, will, salvation, and presence among humans. Third, Rome manifests God's blessing among those who submit to Roman rule. What kind of blessings? Uh, Prosperity, uh, fertility, comfort. These are all things that is kind of the thinking in Roman culture. They're a polytheistic group. But the gods have decided 
that they're going to mediate their blessings through Rome. Rome is the chosen empire. And ultimately, Rome and her emperor are the ones who distribute God's favor. So what did that mean? There were seven churches that are on this letter. There's a circuit. Six of them have a temple in the city built and dedicated for emperor rule. Five of those cities have a subsidized priesthood. Who's subsidizing? The government is. What's the priest doing? Leading the people in worship. In worship of what? Of the emperor. Pergamum, one of the cities, is the center of provincial worship. That's where people come from all over the province to worship. So here's how it goes. We believe the gods are blessing us as the empire expands through the emperor and thing. And we go to worship. And you know, I haven't, I haven't seen you in worship in a couple weeks. Where you've been? Oh, you're you're out of town. The kids had a ball game, but you know it's been. You know, come to think of it, it's been six or eight weeks since I've seen you. Are, are you? I mean, do you do you go to the temple anymore? What? You're not. You're not going to. Why? Why? Jesus? I mean, that was 60 years ago. Wasn't he executed for sedition, for trying to overthrow the emperor? Isn't that the guy that that said he was doing away with Roman rule? You and your Jesus are you're unpatriotic. And worse yet, you're a propagator of false religion that's going to cost us the blessing of the gods. Remember, they're coming through Rome, and we're going there to thank God, much like we do here. This letter, this vision, is a question. I can bring down to one word, of allegiance. And if that's not enough... Every trade, every guild had their own God. So, so we're woodworkers together. Well, once a month we get and we have a meal sacrificed to the God of, of woodworkers, and I haven't seen you there. And that's two in a row. You haven't been there. You can't go? Because you... Yeah, I don't know that we can have you in the woodworkers guild anymore. This is very practical. This isn't out there. What about, what about, what about? This is here now. Your allegiance, my allegiance will be tested. Now, many of you think, man, I have been going to North Point since this thing started back in 2005. We are coming on 17 years and we've never done the book of Revelation and pastor, finally. So here's the question I got, pastor. When, when in this 22 weeks are you going to roll out your timeline? You know, of how things are going to go and when they're going to end. Let me tell you when it's going to happen. Never. 
It's not going to happen. What? No timeline? Yep. No timeline. Well, what did they teach you at that seminary? Here's what they taught me. First class, most seminary students take one of the first. It's called hermeneutics. It's the study of the understanding God's word. One of the first rules you learn is the law of the first hearer. What would the first hearer have understood? So we need to look at the circumstances of the first hearer. They didn't have. They didn't live to the end time. Obviously, they've all died, and, and Jesus is still here. So why are people so curious? Well, one, I think there's this fascination of when, and Jesus tells us, don't worry about be ready, end of Matthew 24, like the thief at night, I could come like that, but also be ready, it could be a thousand years, like the, the bridegroom who waited and the people weren't, didn't have enough oil and they got caught. So be ready, it could be now or it could be a, a thousand years. But you know, Christians have struggled with that. Do you know Columbus was motivated on his trip because he was just sure Jesus was coming back? Luther at the Reformation, I mean, you talk about church that's corrupt. He was just sure Jesus was coming back. Revolutionary War, uh, one of the players in the end of times is, is the, the Antichrist. The, there's the mark of the beast. The, the colonists were absolutely convinced that King George was the Antichrist and, and that the end was near. It's, I can go, I'm going to speed it up for time. 1980, Ronald Reagan is voted President of the United States. Ronald Wilson Reagan, that's 666. Oh. But fear not, if you're of a different political persuasion, 1992, Bill Clinton is elected, and he admits beforehand that he has been immoral in his uh, marriage. And some people say, you know, that is a sign that, that, that he is the Antichrist in the end times and near. Here, here's, what's, here's, here's what's true of all the people that have speculated. They've all been wrong. They've all been wrong. So let's stop with the speculation. Second, what, what's behind that, a lot of times that question, when, Andy, when do you think, do you think we're in the end times, is this idea that somehow we're going to get out, that it's, it's going to get more intense and then God's going to pull us out. That idea is not, let me repeat, is not in Revelation. John is not painting a picture, hang in there. No, no, no. John is painting a picture of Jesus is enough to carry you through hard times, and he wants to show that he is worth allegiance. Now, people talk other places. I don't think it's explicitly taught in the New Testament. It's implied as you synthesize things. I would be very careful about building a hope on we're going to get out of here soon. I would build my hope on Jesus is more than enough. And yet, there is no denying that Revelation has the end in mind. So the first three chapters are the letter, letters to the, the seven churches. Chapters 4 and 5 are what's going on in heaven, people are worshiping. And chapters 6 through 22 is how God is going to bring heaven to earth. Set up his, we sang about that, set up his kingdom. Daniel talked about that earlier. And that will come through a series of judgment. And the first Seven judgments are, are the breaking of the seals. And, and with each seal, we seem to get closer to the end. But then at the seventh one, instead of taking it to the end, it, it opens like Russian nesting dolls. It opens the, the trumpets, and it kind of backs us up, and we go over, not as far back as we were. And the seven trumpets, they, they march us closer. And when we get to the seventh one, 
like a Russian nesting doll or, or, or Google Earth where you zoom in. That gives us another set. It's called the bowls, and the bowls bring us to the end. And we'll talk more about this as we get in it. The judgment of the seals and all the way up to the sixth trumpet seem to be partial judgments. A third of the earth, a fourth of the earth, they seem to be targeted to bring people to repentance. When we get to the sixth trumpet and seventh trumpet, there's no more repentance. God has decided to act, and the end is coming. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to deconstruct everything in his way to bring in his kingdom. So I, I use this example. When I was a little boy, first grades one through eight, I shared a room with my younger brother, and we fought five out of seven nights in a week. And my dad would holler upstairs, hey, boys, I don't want to have to come up there. And usually on Monday or Tuesday, that was good, but Wednesday, we just didn't heed it. And he would shout up there one or two or three times. And then you know what he would do? He would stomp on the stair and he's coming up. And you know what those stomps meant? He ain't going back. Judgment is coming. About the sixth trumpet, God ain't going back. Judgment is coming. And we get a picture of the end times, but not so we can figure out an escape. But I think the end times... Review, reveal three realities that are critical to us maintaining our allegiance. The first is this government, like Rome's government or any human institution that's demanding our allegiance, there's a lot more to that. Satan is behind that. He has been. And that becomes clear as the end comes and the intensity grows. Second, as Satan and his minions are revealed, remember how we said a picture communicates? Well, John gives us a word picture of this dragon and his two beasts that will be revealed about Revelation 13. They're hideous. They're grotesque. They're ravenous. They're destructive. They're sadistic. We get the reality. Folks, we are part of a spiritual battle that has begun at the garden and is intensified with the coming of Jesus. And the one who is behind this, we don't want to take on ourselves. He's horrible. Scripture says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against demonic powers. One, Satan's behind it. Two, he's hideous. Here's the third thing, and the most critical thing that is revealed. God wins. And if you are questioning your allegiance, and I'm questioning my allegiance, we need to know that. Look, last weekend there were four uh, playoff games. Three went down to absolutely the last play, and the fourth one went into overtime. I didn't have an interest in any of those teams, but the, the games were so competitive, I, I tuned in. For the sake of metaphor, at the end of Revelation... 18, 19, 20, the forces of evil will marshal themselves against one final battle against God, and it will be no contest. It will be 35 nothing to go with seven minutes in the first quarter. God will rout them, and people who are thinking about allegiance need to know that. You're fighting a spiritual battle, and the creature there is hideous who's behind it, but God wins. So when your allegiance, when my allegiance gets tested, we need to know. God went. 
And Jesus, through the angel, through John, wants to start communicating that truth that he is worth our allegiance. The cost will be high. There is no out until he comes back to set up his kingdom, but he is worth it, and he more than has grace. Let me read verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace. Now this phrase will bookend our, our, our little pericope here in verse 4, and we'll close in verse 8. From him who is and who was and who is to come. See, the first readers were being told the Roman Empire is forever. Domitian and the emperor are eternal. Don't say it. No, 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 no. There's one who's eternal, who was and is and is to come, and his name is Jesus. Right before I got up here, we sang Ancient of Days. That affirms that he is outside of eternity. So if you're thinking, where am I going to give my allegiance? Who's going to last? Well, Jesus is going to outlast these people. And from the seven spirits, here's our first use of the number seven. Biblically, seven is a number of completion. John will use that a lot in this, symbolically. And I'm saying here, the fullness of the Holy Spirit revealed in the Holy Spirit, I believe, is what he's talking about. Who are before his throne. And Verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Now, I talk about how hideous, how wicked this dragon and the beast who is the Antichrist is. Well, this beast, we'll find out in Revelation 13, has seven heads, and one of them has a mortal wound. And it's made to look like he's recovered from the dead, and it's to lead people to worship him as God. So, so John's just saying to anybody who would read this, to the first readers and, and, and to us, there's really one and only one who's come back from the dead. His name is Jesus. He was put on a cross. He was certified dead. They stuck a spear in his side. They put him down. They wrapped him up. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a big rock over it. They put the Roman seal on it. They got a Roman guard out there to guard the thing because they had heard these wacko believers said he was going to rise from the dead, and, and they couldn't keep him in the tomb. There's just one who's come back from that. So when you're thinking about your allegiance, keep that in mind. And the ruler of the kings of the earth, it looks like Domitian. I mean, Roman rule, it's, it's just getting going, people. And it will last, what, into the 300s, 375 AD, something like that? It will look like it's, it's forever. No, no, no. There's one who rules over them, and it's, it's, it's Jesus. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom. Will you think, oh, the empire? No, no, there's a greater kingdom yet, and that's the kingdom of God we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. We experienced it in part. It is coming in full. The end of Revelation, we'll talk about him. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, verse 7, he's coming with the clouds. John is going to Daniel 7 here, using the symbolism of Daniel 7. I talked about. Daniel talks about the Son of Man who will come on the clouds. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. And he told the Pharisees at his trial, you will see me coming on the clouds. And for hundreds of years, Israel had wondered, who's the full of that? John's saying, Jesus is. And he's coming back. And every eye will see him, and those who are, even those who pierced him, the Jews who put him to death. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn him. Again, he's borrowing from Zechariah 7 there. 
so is it to be am. Amen. Verse 8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That is the first and last letter in the Greek alphabet. I'm the first and the last. And here's our phrase again. Who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Your allegiance is going to be challenged. Just like these first century readers, allegiance was challenged. You'll have to make a decision, and I'll have to make a decision. To whom will we give our allegiance? Guess the cost could be high. Could be your job. Could be your credibility. Could be your life. We need to know. We need to cement it that He is worth it. Why should we endure the cost of allegiance to Christ? Jesus is coming back to set up His kingdom, and He's going to deconstruct every other kingdom. Jesus is coming back to set up His kingdom, and He will deconstruct, put down anything in His way. Now you say, Andy, well, you know, this stuff about, you know, the people having to worship and being charged as false religion and stuff, that, that's just first century. Right now there are parts of India where believers are being beaten imprisoned and even killed by people of the Hindu faith. The government either passively watches or gets actively involved. You know why they're doing this? These Christians are bringing a false God. The blessings are coming from the Hindu God, and you Christians are in the way. I could name any number of, a Muslim, number of Muslim countries where that, that same principle is in play. You have a false God. You're polytheistic with your trinity. You have Jesus all wrong. He's a prophet, and you're preaching him risen from the dead as God, and, 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 that, is, and, and that is offensive, and we need to squash this out. China, Chairman G, am I pronouncing his name right? They're, they're doing the Winter Olympics, and man, China's looking good, and this guy is rising in stature. And guess what? They are putting the church down. It is going on. They look what happened at the, when the wall fell in Eastern Europe, and they, it started with a church prayer meeting, so they, they want to put that down. You will worship. You will give your allegiance to Chairman Xi. My wife told me the other day, she said, Andy, the, the church in China is praying for, for persecution for us. They think we need it. I'm not sure what I think about that prayer. We say, well, we don't face that, and, and by the grace of God, we don't. But I would tell you to pray for our country. Think through the Pledge of Allegiance with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. Don't think if we lose that idea that we're under God that we'll be any different than the Roman Empire where we think we're deity and we think we're something. No, no, we are under God as He reveals Himself in this world. Not as we want to see Him, but as He is. Not as we read our biases in and out, but as He reveals Himself. In the meantime, your allegiance and my allegiance can be challenged a whole lot of other ways. Hope and I moved here almost 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years ago in October. I've never lived in a place longer. I consider this home. And yet I tell you, as we come, we, we have been impressed and yet watched kind of with curiosity of the power of family. Jesus was asked at one point, he was speaking in, in his mouth, see 12, 46 through 50, he said, your, your mother and your brother are outside waiting. And he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Those that do the will of God. He was reprioritizing family. 
The hardest decision I ever made in my life was a question of allegiance. When I finished graduate school and I felt God calling me to Campus Crusade and my dad had another plan for my life. He was not happy when he found out about my decision. That was a question of allegiance. And I had to say my allegiance is to my heavenly father over my earthly father. You may have to make those kind of decisions. Your job may question your allegiance. The culture here is seven to seven and you work half a day Sunday. Well, I can't do that. I got two kids and this and that, but that's the culture. And the culture is you charge, even when you're home, monitoring email. Well, I didn't really bill for those hours. That, that's, that's the culture. And if you're going to stay, well, yeah, your allegiance to Jesus may cost you your job. Kids' activities. Hey, I, sports were, God used sports in my life. I, I had coaches who turned out to be surrogate fathers for me. I have many things I could say about sports, but I will tell you, kids' sports have gone crazy in the commitment they asked for. It's a lordship decision. And parents, you have to make some hard decisions about allegiance. If you're true to your allegiance to Jesus, it may cost your kid a spot on the team. It may cost your kid a spot in the band. It may cost your kid uh, on the debate team. And, and what's true of sports is true of band. It's true of debate. It's true of FBLA. It's true... These are questions of allegiance. And so I believe Revelation is the most practical book in the New Testament because it's testing the very heart issue of what we're facing. Where is our allegiance? To mention I was in sports, and one of the things I did was uh, I swam in high school. And we had to get up every morning at 6 a.m. before school, and this is outside of Chicago, so it's cold, out of a warm bed into a thing, into our car. The heater's not working. We get there. We change. We've got to get into a cold pool. We swim for an hour and a half. We go to class all day, and we come back, and we swim for another two hours. It's kind of like, golly, is this, is this worth it? I mean, we smelled of chlorine. Skin was dry, hair, whatever. In the locker room, there were about 15 full-length lockers, and those were for the guys on the team, and we, we each have a locker, and we put a lock on it. Then around outside were a bunch of half lockers where kids who were doing PE could come in. Well, most of us would put a, like a note card or something on our locker, and it would just be a time, like 59.5. That was state qualifying for the 100 back for me. Or somebody had a personal best that they were trying to do. And I'm sure people that came in and looked in the lockers thought, what's the deal with those numbers? Those numbers were a reminder of why we were enduring the cost of getting up early and going to swim after school every day for four months. What those numbers were to us as swimmers, so Jesus is to us as believers. The cost of allegiance may be high, okay? Don't count on some kind of out, be beamed out or get out of jail free. What the book of Revelation is saying is Jesus wins in the end. And whatever the cost, and, and, and the, 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 the number of martyrs we'll see grows throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus is worth it because in the end, Satan, who is behind all that is trying to pull us away, will lose, he'll lose decisively. God is going to set up his kingdom on earth. That is the message of Revelation. You remain true, I remain true. Why should we do? Endure the cost of following Jesus. Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom. 
and they'll deconstruct, they'll subjugate any opposition. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who is worthy of our allegiance. Lord, that we would take this message, it would be very practical in our lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.